book of Acts as we continue studying through the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ done through the person of the Spirit of God and through the apostles. And so we're looking at the history of the early church. Jesus Christ is not just some figure from history. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to travel to a country where they don't know much about the Lord Jesus, but there are people who've never heard his name, or people that perhaps have heard his name, but they think of him just like they would think of uh, Plato, or Aristotle, or Lao Tzu, or any other philosopher from the ancient world, any other religious leader, whether it's the historical Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, or whether it's Muhammad, They think of him as somebody that lived, died, and is no longer active in this world other than the teachings that they have left. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is different from all of those men. We serve a risen Savior. The song says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever man may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. In just the time I need him, He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. That's the message that the hymn writer wrote. And that's the message of the Word of God as we talk about the ascension tonight. Where is the Lord Jesus Christ? Is the ministry of Jesus Christ over? Where is he right now? We know that he died and we know that he rose from the grave. But is he still walking around somewhere? Right? Uh, We we sometimes use language like bringing people to Christ. Well, where would you bring them if you were bringing people to Christ? Right? Is he he hidden somewhere? Is he no longer active? And if he's gone, will he ever return? And if so, what will that be like? And it's been 2,000 years. Isn't that a long time? What should we do until he returns? All of these things we think about, we encounter, as we look at the ascension of Jesus Christ. It says in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 9, the word of God reads, When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would take your word, which we know is living and powerful. I pray that you'd use it tonight to help us, open it to us. May your spirit guide us. I pray that you would help us to put away the distraction. May you cleanse us from sin that we might hear from you. I pray that you would be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is an eyewitness account of Jesus Christ's ascension. We know that the Lord Jesus uh, did not begin in Bethlehem, but that he was born in Bethlehem. He became a man without ceasing to be God. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He chose to lay his life down. No man took it from him. And as he laid his life down and shed his blood for us, we know that three days later he arose from the dead. And that he was with his disciples, speaking with them and fellowshipping with them and was together with them. And during that time, sent them on a great mission, a commission of what they were supposed to do, which was to preach the gospel to every creature. But then what? what? What happened? 
after that? Well, we refer to this as the ascension, just like you might refer to Jesus rising from the grave as the resurrection, just as you might refer to Jesus dying on the cross as the crucifixion. We refer to this idea of Jesus being caught up into the clouds as the ascension. In verse number 9, it reads, And when he had spoken these things, and what, again, he had spoken was one verse before this, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. So after he gave that last part of the Great Commission, it says, As he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Any of you thought that they expected that? I mean, he's standing there with them, and then something changes, and the Lord Jesus begins to rise up into the air. Just so you know, if you're unfamiliar with the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, this is not something that he did all the time. This is not something that had happened. They had not seen him like this, but it says that he was risen up, he was taken up, and a cloud received him. They watched him go as he got smaller and smaller until eventually... The clouds obscured where he was, and he was gone out of their sight. This is the conclusion of Jesus' bodily ministry on earth. Look in Luke, if you would please, in Luke 24. In Luke chapter 24, very last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke 24, in verse 51. It says... And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. He had told them certain things the night before he died, and he was preparing them after he rose from the grave, because now things are different. Jesus is not with them bodily anymore. And this is made all the more clear when it says that he was parted from them. And so where where did the Lord Jesus go when he was received up into heaven? Well, look in the book of Hebrews, if you would, please. You say, where is he? What is he doing up there? Well, Hebrews chapter number 1 and verse number 3. Hebrews 1 and verse number 3. It says, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. If you've been to a wedding that had a big sit-down dinner, you know that there were different places where you could be seated. How many of you went to a wedding and and you had a table number, right? You are at table number 43, or maybe table number 73, depending on how big the wedding was, and you had to go and find that, and you know, what... How, how did that seating work out? Well, traditionally, the people that were seated at the bride and groom's table were their groomsmen, their bridesmaids, and, and they were uh, attributed a place of honor. And then usually the mom and the dad and the family, grandparents, brothers and sisters, if they're not in the, the wedding party, they're seated closest to the front. And then you've got like the groom's dad's friend from work, and he's seated all the way at the other side and maybe never sees the bride or, or the groom during the, the reception. What am I talking about? There there were seats of honor, if you would think about a gathering. And to be seated at the right hand of somebody is the the highest honor that a host could bestow upon somebody that he was entertaining. The same thing as a ruler, whoever was bestowed upon their right hand was the highest that they could be. And so when it says that the Lord Jesus was set down on the right hand of the majesty on high, he was given the most honored place in heaven 
next to the throne of God the Father. Look in Hebrews 8 in verse number 1. The same idea is touched on again. Where did Jesus go? Now, Hebrews 8, verse number 1. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So the Lord Jesus was received up into the presence of God and seated at the side of God. Once more in Hebrews 12, in verse number 2, you see at the end of Hebrews 12, in verse number 2, it says, He is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we know that the Lord Jesus Christ did not stop existing. He's not gone, right? The Lord Jesus still exists. Some people get weird ideas that in the Old Testament... Uh, God was the Father, and in the New Testament, God was the Son, and now in this time period, God's the Spirit. No, it has always been God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all equal, all at the same time. He didn't change forms. This is the Trinity, right? So Jesus is still there, and his acts are going to continue on this earth through the person of the Holy Spirit. When you and I speak of the Holy Spirit, we should be careful not to call it an it, because it's a person. It's referred to... He is referred to, I just did it, he is referred to in the Bible as a him because it is not a force. The, the Holy Spirit continues on through the acts of the apostles. And so if you look in Acts chapter 1, back where we were, but in verses 1 and 2, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So the Lord Jesus gave commandments, gave marching orders to the apostles. The word apostle literally gives you the idea of someone who is sent forth to do something, that they've been commissioned to do something. And so that's what's going on. And it's the Spirit of God who is allowing them to have the power that they need in order to do what they've been called to do. Back in John chapter 14, if you're... Thinking back to our time about the upper room and our sermon series that we recently went through about the heart of the Lord Jesus, it says in John 14, in verse number 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. If you want to skip down into that same passage, but verse 26, it says, But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. John 15 in verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, who I shall send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So the Lord Jesus would no longer be bodily present. He was being removed. He was being taken up into the sky, but... And he would be seated at the right hand of the Father. But the Spirit of God, who is just as much God as the Lord Jesus, would come. And so this is why Jesus said, if I don't go away, the Spirit can't come, the Comforter can't come. But it's better for you that I go away. Because now the Spirit of God, the person of Christ and the Spirit of Christ inside of every believer can go with them to the ends of the earth. Well, Jesus was here on this earth. He was in one place at one time. He chose to constrain himself to truly become a man without ceasing to be God. And so now the Spirit can go everywhere. God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God goes home with you tonight. 
As you, as you wind up your day, as you wrap up your day, you're wrapping it up in the presence of God. When you awake tomorrow morning, Lord willing, we don't know how much time we have, but if we awake, we are in the presence of God. But you are at your home, and I am at my home, and God can be with all of us. This is a, a wondrous thing. So though I'm sure when the disciples were sitting there watching Jesus go up, that they were somewhat upset by it because they wanted Jesus with them. They desired. I would have loved to have been with Jesus bodily. Wouldn't that have been amazing to hear the inflection of his words, to hear how he spoke certain things? I would have loved to have seen some of the things that they had seen. And yet we're given something even better. We're given something even better. The Spirit of God in every person who's called upon Christ as their Savior. Back in Acts chapter 1, in verse number 10, It says, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So here they are watching the Lord Jesus ascend up into heaven, and they're standing here like this watching, and then behold, it says, there were two men, which means that they didn't just walk up. It means that they didn't see them coming off in the distance. One moment, they were not there, and the next moment, these two men in white apparel were there. Anybody have a guess as to who uh, these two men dressed in white might be? What do you think? Angels. That's a very good guess. You know why that's a very good guess? Because that's how they were described at the tomb. That's how they were described at the empty tomb. Look in Matthew 28. In Matthew 28... In Matthew 28, in verse number 3, talking about the, the man that they saw, the angel of the Lord, who sat upon the stone, rolled away from the door. It says, his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. In the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 16, in verse number 5, we get a similar description talking about them. It says, in entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. So they're watching Jesus taken up into heaven, and then they realize, hold on a second, there are some people here, behold, right? There they are. And they've come to give a message. I think that many people today have the wrong idea about angels. I think we have the wrong idea about angels. Um, We have done something to them in popular culture that has made them less than what they truly are. They are God's messengers. They are divinely created beings. They are spiritual beings. They serve the Lord. They give messages. uh, And you see them ministering to humans and coming down and speaking on God's behalf. And they were active in the Old Testament and they were active in the, the New Testament. And I sincerely believe that they are active even today. They are the ministering, the helping spirits of God to God's people. And so um, they oftentimes, as we see here, take on the appearance of men, but they are not men. And sometimes we can even mistake them. We can even mistake them for just regular old people. If you look back in Hebrews 13... It encourages us to be kind to strangers and to exercise hospitality, meaning welcoming people into our homes. Because remember, uh, back in Bible times when someone was traveling and night was falling and they could no longer travel safely, it wasn't uncommon for people to seek someone that they didn't even know and be their guest in their home. 
And so in Hebrews chapter 13, in verse number, let's see, Hebrews 13, in verse number 2, be it not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So there is a time when the angels have appeared and people didn't know that they were angels. And then there were other times when the angels appeared and people fell down terrified. If you recall, there were many times when the angels appeared and what do the angels almost always have to say? Fear not, right? Why? Because everyone was afraid because they'd never seen anything like that. They are truly otherworldly. We in the Western part of the world have a hard time understanding spiritual reality. Everything is very sterile. Everything is very scientific. Everything is very controlled to our minds. And the idea of someone saying that there are truly angels and truly demons is kind of relegated to like the guy that believes in Bigfoot. Right? Because, because educated people, we don't, we don't believe in that. And yet the Bible is filled with supernatural truth. And it's important for us to understand because we're, we're not recognizing what's going on behind the scenes. You know, people will take angels and they'll, they'll portray them as women, but we never see them portrayed as women in Scripture. The types of angels in white raiment that come down upon the earth and speak, we're never told that they have wings. There are angelic beings, or excuse me, heavenly beings that have wings, but we're never told that they do. We have accounts of them flying, and so maybe people just came up with the idea of how else could you fly without wings? But angels are active, and, and there's a spiritual reality beyond what you and I can see. Would you look in 2 Kings with me? This is unusual, what happens in 2 Kings. But if you look there with me, in 2 Kings, a rare thing happens, and the veil between our world and what is beyond our world, between nature and the supernatural, is actually pulled back. It's like somebody opened up at a play the curtains and you could see all the workings of what's going on behind the scenes. And so in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse number 11, <clears throat> therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? A little bit of background here. The king of Syria is upset because his plans against Israel keep getting thwarted. They lay in wait somewhere in order to take on Israel's forces, and somehow Israel knows where they are, and they, they avoid them completely. Verse 12, And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. You know what he says? No, there's no spies inside of our camp. It's, it's the prophet Elisha. He's causing all sorts of trouble because no matter what you say in the most secret places, he knows it. His God apparently tells him and he knows what your plans are. And then he tells the king of Israel. Verse 13. And he said, go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host and they came by night and compassed the city about. So what happens is they, they've got to stop the information leak or else their military action is going to be ruined. And so by night they send a large host, a large army to the place, to Dothan, where the prophet Elisha is. And they circle the city so that no one can escape. In verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early, 
and gone forth, behold, a host come past the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? So the servant gets up the next day, crack of dawn, begins to go out of the whatever abode that Elijah was staying in and starts to walk around and perhaps take care of whatever morning necessities are there. And he realizes there's, there's something wrong. What is that out in the distance? As the sun peeks up over the, the hills, there, there's, there's an army and not just a small army, but an army surrounding the entire city. And he panics and he says, We're, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're, they're here for us. These are the Syrians. And you've been telling the king of Israel how to get out of all the traps of the king of Syria. And so he is, says, alas, my master, how shall we do? Verse number 16. He answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, think for just a second. You got your servant and the servant says, one, two, me and Elisha. One, two. Maybe he was even counting in his mind the people that also lived in Dothan. Who, who, who knows exactly? But he's, he's thinking, this doesn't add up. There's a whole army surrounding us. How could there be more with us than there are with them, against them? He says, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You know what happened? The veil was pulled back. God did a miracle and allowed that young man, that servant, to see the hosts of heaven. How many of you have noticed in the Old Testament that God is often called the Lord of hosts? You ever seen that? You ever wonder what that is? Is that like the Lord of Mater D's? the Lord of people who host folks? No, that's armies. The host means armies. He is the Lord of the armies of heaven. And so when you see the detachment that heaven has brought down there, Elisha was living in the reality of the supernatural power and protection of God that was all about him. And he was not worried. He was not worried at all. In fact, in just a few verses, if you keep reading, Elijah's going to pray that they all, Elisha's going to pray that they all get struck blind and then he's going to lead them away, Right? Pretty, pretty amazing things about to happen. But Elisha lived there, but the young man only saw the physical reality in front of him. And so there's a, a danger that you can go off into. One is you can ignore the supernatural reality of this world and get all sorts of worried and um, scared that it's just about flesh versus flesh. Because our God is much greater than any power that the flesh could bring out. Or you could think that angels make everything happen or demons make everything happen, right? You could go to, to town on that idea in one of two extremes. There's no angels, there's no demons, or there are angels and demons everywhere and everything has to do with that. Both of those are errors, but the reality is there and you go to third world countries, they have no trouble believing in, in spiritual realities. They really don't. You say that there's angels, you say that there's evil spirits or demons, and they're like, of course there are. Of course there are. I, I went to um, Japan as an international studies abroad student, right? And I went over there, and there was, this is bizarre, a girl from Taiwan who came to the United States, studied at Ohio State, and then went on a study abroad program with the other 10 of us back into Asia and was in Japan. And she became a Christian when she was in the United States, but she grew up in all of the spiritism and superstition that she was exposed to in Taiwan. 
And so when we would go to these shrines, when we would go to these temples as tourists in Japan, and they would talk about the spirits, and they would talk about there's this bridge that connects the spirit world and our world, and if you go over that bridge and you leave without returning across that bridge, you'll forever be trapped in the spirit world and the spirits will be able to attack you. And we all thought it was just the dumbest thing in the world. We all thought how silly it was. She was scared to death. Why? Because she grew up with that idea that there really is more than what we can see. And so these angels showed up and they spoke. If we go back to Acts chapter 1, they spoke to the apostles in verse number 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. This is the message for them. What, what, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? This isn't the time to be standing around. He's gone. He's been received up into heaven. Yes, he's coming back again. But you have been given marching orders. You've been given marching orders. There are, unfortunately, some churches, even churches of like faith, that get the idea that nothing great for God can be done anymore, and all that we can do is hold the fort. All that we can do is just try and make it through. I, I love the people that believe that God, even in the darkest times, even in the hardest places, can do a great work. And I believe that he is doing a great work. I hope that you see that in your own life, that as things get worse, as evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, that as dark as it is, the light shines all the brighter. Yes, it can be fierce, but God has marching orders for us, and it's not just to sit here and to twiddle our thumbs. There's ground to still be taken for the Lord. And he says, why are you just gazing up? This same Jesus, the same man that called each of you, the same man that trained each of you and sent you out two by two, the same man that you sat with and ate with and heard him teach and preach, the, the same man that did miracles in front of you, the same man that you became convinced of was truly the Son of God, that same man that gathered with you and poured his heart out the night before he died, the same man who was taken and falsely accused and beaten and crucified, the same man that was buried, the same man that rose from the grave is the same Jesus that was taken up into heaven. So don't sit there and wonder and think this is something different than who he is. He truly is that same Jesus. I'm so glad that Jesus, uh, a different aspect of the word the same, I'm so glad that he doesn't change. I'm so glad that God doesn't have good days and bad days. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have much to rejoice in this same Jesus. He is going to come again. And he'll come in like manner. The Lord Jesus isn't going to be born in a manger as a baby next time he comes, but he's going to come as a king in power. If you would, look with me in Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1. We know that he was taken up and he was received into the clouds. But in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. When the Lord Jesus comes back, it is not going to be some secretive thing. He's not going to be hiding out in the desert over here. He's not going to be in some cave over here gathering people to himself. When he comes back, he's coming back in the same way that he left. 
And in fact, when he comes back, not just to catch the church up in the rapture and to start the seven years of tribulation, but when he sets foot on the earth at the end of the tribulation in order to uh, crush the armies of the Antichrist, look, look what his landing is like in Zechariah 14. Would you turn with me to, to Zechariah And Zechariah 14. I promise you it's in there. I didn't make it up. Yeah, it's page 979 for those of you that have a Schofield King James version of the Bible, like Brother Mark Thrift always says. It's not very helpful for most people unless you have the exact same Bible in front of you. I love this. Zechariah 14 and verse number 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half the mountain shall remove towards the north and half of it toward the south. He's going to set, he's going to set down back on earth and the Mount of Olives is going to split. He's going to come back with such force and with such power. You, you know the, the superhero landing pose? You know, where he comes down on one knee and his fist on the ground and, you know, Superman looks all impressive. When he, well, the Lord Jesus, Superman's got nothing compared to the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus comes back, he comes with power. And as he was ascended up into heaven, so in like manner is he going to return. And so when you and I think about Jesus and his ascension, you can't take that and separate it from also his return. So what, what do we take away from this passage? How do we apply things from this passage? The first thing that this challenges us to do is to continue Christ's work on earth. The church is called the body of Christ, and that is not an accident. Because we, as the body of Christ, ought to be doing whatever Jesus would be doing if he was here bodily. That's how we know what we ought to be involved in and not be involved in. By his spirit, Jesus Christ continues his work Yes, in the book of Acts through the apostles, but also in you and I today. And when we enlist in what God is doing, when we get in on what God is doing, we continue on in this unbroken line of people doing the Lord's work. We're not starting something new. We're, we're involved in something that has begun a long time ago. It is God's work on this earth. And now it continues through us. We have to make a decision that we're going to continue Christ's work and not our work. And it's hard. Did you notice that Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, he, in his surrender, said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That was part of the model prayer. He said that Jesus, Jesus was teaching them, it has to be about God's kingdom, thy kingdom come, and it had to be about God's will, thy will be done. Because it's very easy, because we want to build our own kingdom, and we have our own will, our own idea of what needs to be done. And ambition is a dangerous thing. Man-centered ambition is a dangerous thing. And people have desired to do great things for God, but it's been ambition and it hasn't been leadership of the Spirit of God. And so it's important to be able to discern, and I think it's one of the hardest things is to discern the divine from the human. Is this thing that's going on in my heart and mind, is this thing from the Lord? Or is this from me? Is this my idea or is this God's idea? Part of that is surrendering. You, you, there was a, a fad that went on a, a decade or two ago where people were wearing bracelets 
that said, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? That's a pretty good question. In every situation of life, um, what would Jesus do? When you go into the office or to the job site or you wake up in your home tomorrow and whatever tasks are ahead of you and you face something, whether it's peaceful or whether it's not peaceful, ask yourself this question, what would Jesus do here? And that's what we ought to be doing as we continue Christ's work on the earth. Second of all, we need to believe in the supernatural realities of Christianity. We need to believe in the supernatural realities of it. Angels, demons, they are real. They are real. Our enemy is real. Angels were active, as we mentioned, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and still today. And so despite our Western sensibilities that we don't want to believe in things that are supernatural or outside of nature, it is a vital part of our faith. And so if we try and sterilize and remove all of that spiritual, supernatural part out of it and just end up with some philosophy of it, we end up losing the heart of what God's Word says, of what Christianity says. Thomas Jefferson, though he did many good things in helping to to form the beginning of our nation, he also took his Bible and removed with a penknife any of the places in the New Testament where it had to do with supernatural realities because he just couldn't go there in his mind. He was fine with the good teachings. He was fine with some doctrine, but he he couldn't grasp any miracles. People today will say science disproves miracles, and so we know that the Bible's not true. And I would challenge you to ask them, how has science disproved miracles? First of all, science measures nature. It's the observation of nature, not, not the supernatural. It has no ability to measure that, right? Second of all, science has been made into something more than just science. It's been made into its own religion, right? Trust the science. What does that mean? This whole secular idea without God, that's not what real science is. That's not what real science is at all. The Bible and science are not at odds. The Bible and secularism are at odds. The Bible and a godless society are at odds. But, but not with science. Don't let anybody try and tell you that there were no miracles or that miracles were impossible because they most assuredly were real. Demons are real, doing the enemy's bidding. Angels are real, doing our God's bidding. And don't make either mistake that we deny their reality or we overemphasize it. Um, in, in fact, this, this is kind of stuck with me because I really had this mindset that yeah, angels, demons, those things are real. I know the doctrines behind them, but I never really thought about the reality of it. I remember sitting in the office with um, Dr. Sexton, and a couple of the guys were there, and we were planning and praying about things, and he said, I have something on my mind, and I want you, I want you to pray about it, but I'm not ready to talk about it yet because I don't want the enemy to hear. And that made me stop for a minute, and I thought, he really believes this. That, that the enemy or his agents could be listening and they could already begin to work against what it is that he was praying about and working for. And that, that was sort of an eye-opening moment for me as a very young person in ministry that here is a man that's not given to flights of fancy, but he believed in the supernatural reality of the enemy. And that stuck with me. That stuck with me. I want you to know that though demons are real, God is greater 
than our enemy or any of his servants. And the power of one single angel, as we have seen in the Old Testament, is a frightful thing to behold and that there are limits. There are limits on our enemies, on what the enemy can do. And so we ought not be despairing, but it is important for us to realize it. The last thing is to look for the Christ of the second coming. And I phrased it that way because that's, that's important. We're not just looking for the second coming of Christ. We're looking for the Christ of the second coming. We're not just looking for a way out. We're not just looking for an escape hatch. We're not just holding the fort. We're excited that the second coming is the second coming because it's when Jesus returns. And there's a shift there in our mindset. Yes, Jesus' earthly ministry has ended for that time, but his return was foretold and his promise is to return. That is the word of God. And he will return one day to catch us up in the rapture as his church to begin those seven years of God's judgment being poured out on the earth. The Antichrist will come to power and then Jesus on the great day of the Lord will return and he will thwart the Antichrist and all of his forces and restore the kingdom and begin the millennial kingdom. The, the, the part of this that's important is God wins. God wins. So no matter how bad this world looks, no matter how disheartening it is, and, and how many of you pay attention to uh, world news? Any of you pay attention to world news? Any of you news people? Right? You hear everybody talking about ESG, the World Economic Forum, the, the globalist agenda that's out there. And, and there's a lot of people that are very upset about all of it. There's a lot of people that are very upset about it. And they believe that there are things moving behind the scenes in order to cause all sorts of problems and to create chaos so that they might take control of it. How many of you have heard things like that? Any of you heard things like that? So? I'm not surprised. It was told that this was going to happen. All this means that the day of our deliverance is closer than it first appeared, right? We know that the Lord Jesus is coming back. And we can trust that no matter what scheme of man is put to and against him, what is put to and against us, that God can overcome. And so we ought not lose hope. We ought to say, yeah, okay. So there is going to be a one world government. Hmm. Under a nefarious ruler. Hmm. Who will eventually make everyone follow and worship him. Hmm. Boy, doesn't that sound like something I've heard somewhere else. I don't think Glenn Beck was the one that came up with that. And you know that something weird is going on in the world when Glenn Beck and Russell Brand both agree on something about all this. You know that the world has gone crazy when those two agree on anything. But it doesn't, shouldn't dishearten any of us because the Lord will return and we need to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, looking for his return and not being idle while we wait, but being after his work. What can we do? Let's ask a few questions to think about this. What can we do to continue Jesus' work on this earth. Sean? We can continue the Great Commission. We can continue to tell people about Jesus. Right? We can do that personally here. We can do that abroad by supporting missionaries and praying for them. What else can we do to continue Jesus' mission? What's that? Speak to people personally about the Lord. Yes. Kiara? Yes, sharing the gospel. Absolutely. Ron? Yes. Continue to meet. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but even the more as we see the day approaching. 
What else? Yep, Greg? Yeah, make sure that we don't allow our roots to go too deep, that we don't love the world. Yeah, absolutely. What else can we do? Yeah, Clark? Yeah, live your life openly around others. Let them see God in you, see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Have you ever had an encounter that made you think that something supernatural might be going on? Any of you ever had anything like that happen? I, I believe a couple of times, I believe a couple of times, um, I've, I've seen some things happen that were bizarre. I've told you all about a soul-winning encounter that we had when a gentleman put a, pulled a gun on us and uh, yelled at us and was very angry with us. But then later on, he was scared of us getting too close to him, even though he was the one who was brandishing a firearm just a few minutes ago. And he's like, don't come any closer. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you scared of us? And I don't think that that man was scared of me. I think that whatever was inside that man was scared of the spirit of God who was inside of me and the partner that went with me that day, soul winning. There was something definitely unusual about that. Any of you experience anything like that? Yeah, Ron? <laughs> the professional hockey player was intimidated. Those are tough guys. Apparently needs his wife around, yeah. I was on a, um, a mission trip in 2008 in the northern part of Iraq while the war was still going on, though the northern part of Iraq, what, the Kurds area, the Kurdistani area, uh, that was more settled. And I just remember we would go past these military checkpoints. And here are two Arab guys in the front driving around, three Americans in the back of this van. And we kept going through military checkpoint after military checkpoint. And they would just look in there and then they'd wave us through. They, you know, they'd look in there and they'd wave us through. And the guys would say something in, in Arabic to them. I had no idea what they said. And finally I had to ask because I'm like, why aren't any of these people stopping us? And um, they, he told them, well, we're, we're Christian missionaries. And I said, you, you told the guards what? Oh, yeah, I told them that we're Christian missionaries. He said, they're not looking for us. They're looking for Muslim terrorists. And not even the Muslims would stoop so low as to pretend to be Christian missionaries. <laughs> and what was interesting about that is we could go one of two ways. And what we found out is we chose one way over another way. And one of the security checkpoints that we missed was one where there was a, a crooked officer there who oftentimes saw foreigners called family that were involved in terrorist activities, tell them where the foreigners were so that they could be taken hostage and ransomed. And God just so happened to make sure that we went one way instead of another way. I would not be one bit surprised if angels weren't involved in that and blinding the guards to our presence there. Not one bit surprised. Anybody else have something? Marvin?
I would love to hear, you're right, more firsthand from our missionaries in some of those places. Um, I've mentioned my friend Bob Patton, but his, his missions uh, work in Suriname. They experience a lot of witchcraft, especially out in the bush. And um, he told me that they had a ministry where when someone was possessed, the, the natives would come and ask for the church to come and pray. And he told me about a little girl that he remembered um, that he went and, and she knew things that she wasn't that she couldn't have known and she spoke with a voice that wasn't hers and um, when they would pray until the spirit didn't have evil spirit didn't have control anymore over them and they would try and witness to them and get them to accept Christ so that the, the spirit could not come back and take control because the spirit of God would be there that's how they did their work there and when the little girl was herself again she told brother Patton or dr. Patton and said, the one who's in me can't even look at the one that's in you. Just goosebumps, right? Just goosebumps. And so this, this is real. This is real. Um, what excites you the most about Jesus' return? Kiara? Yeah, the mansions that await us. Mm-hmm. That will forevermore be with the Lord. Yes will be off this evil earth. He'll make the evil earth better, too, for a time. Absolutely. Sean? Imagine living in a world where when you turn on the television, the stuff that is actually good that you would want to watch far outweighs the bad. Can you even imagine that? See, the Lord Jesus during the millennial reign is going to turn everything on its head. All that's for evil now is going to be flipped to good. That's just wild. Amias? Flying, yeah, when we're caught up in the air to meet him, that's going to be something. Amen. What else are you looking forward to about? Yeah, David? Amen. Getting to meet the saints of old. Emily? You get to meet your great-great-grandpa? Yeah, we'll get to see those that went on before us. Absolutely. Anybody else have something they're looking forward to? Hasn't taken a turn yet? Yes. Ah, friends that are departed. Yes. Yes, finally our labors will cease. Amen. True retirement. <laughs> yes, Ben. No more pain. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for the, the promise of your return. We thank you that you'll come and receive us so that we can go to that place that you've prepared for us. I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes upon the Lord Jesus and not on the troubles of this world. I pray you'd help us to recognize the spiritual realities and may we pray all the more because we know that you're working in ways that we can't even understand or see all the time. I pray that you would bless us uh, with peace when there seems to be no peace because we know the end of the book. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Any of you not have a prayer sheet? Want to make sure everyone has a prayer sheet? If you didn't get one, would you slip your hand up? We'll make sure.